we're about to engage in a dangerous activity, the proclamation, the listening to the Word of God is a dangerous thing. And I'm not, I don't, by that I, I don't mean the kind of danger experienced by a young man named Eutychus. If you know the story in the book of Acts, Eutychus was a young man who was gathered with a group of people on the third story of a building, and the Apostle Paul was proclaiming the Word of God, preaching to them, and it says Paul prolonged his message until midnight. You guys don't even know what a long sermon is. You really don't. And Eutychus, it says, he was, <laughs> he was uh, seated in a windowsill on the third floor, and he fell asleep, and he fell backwards and hit the ground and died. And God graciously enabled Paul to work a miracle and raise him back to life, so all was well. Um, that's not the kind of danger you're in right now as we um, prepare to get into God's Word. But, but listening to the Word of God proclaimed, proclaiming it, teaching it, studying it, is dangerous. And the reason it's dangerous is because whenever we are exposed to the truth of God's Word, there's always the temptation that we're going to misuse it. And one of the biggest temptations to misuse God's word is to apply it to other people rather than applying it to yourself. And so we, you know, we hear some truth and we think to ourselves, boy, I sure hope so-and-so is listening right now. He really needs to hear this. I sure hope, oh, what's her name, gets the point because this would make a big difference in her life if she would take that seriously. We, we do that. I see you guys do that every once in a while, you know. You, <laughs> and, and that's why I think Jesus says what he says in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to be looking at. He has been giving us throughout this sermon a lot of life-changing truth. I mean, powerful, powerful life-changing truth. And he knows, he's well aware of our inclination to hear truth and then get excited about it. We get excited about truth and we agree with it. We nod our heads and, and we, we, uh, we're, we're thrilled with this truth and then, and then we don't apply it. To ourselves. It's just kind of an entertainment thing. And so we don't apply it to ourselves, and, and worse yet, then we misuse it. And so this section, it's interesting, this section contains what is probably one of the most misused statements in all of the Bible. So I want to just take a minute right now, and I want to pray, and I want to ask the Lord, and you ask Him too, to help us hear clearly what it is He's saying and to take it to heart. Okay, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to do that. Lord Jesus, you're so gracious. And you told us these things for our good, for our benefit. Not to scold us, not to belittle us, but to save us. And so may we hear this word <clears throat> as you intend it to be heard. And will you apply it, help us apply it to our own lives. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Matthew chapter 7. We've made it to chapter 7. Matthew 7, beginning at verse 1. And Jesus says this. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. I've heard it said Jesus never told any jokes, and that's certainly true. You know, he didn't do the the knock-knock who's there kind of thing. But he did say some funny things, and this is one of them. You know, this picture of a guy with a log sticking out of his eye, trying to remove a tiny little speck of dust from someone else's eye. It's ridiculous. And that is precisely the point. It is ridiculous for us to pay more attention to other people's faults than we pay to our own especially if our own faults are bigger. Um, You know, that would be like a doctor trying to cure someone else of a condition that they've got a worse case of. It just is ridiculous. And yet, this seems to be a tendency that's pretty universal that we all have. And that's why Jesus asks us, why do you do that? Why do you do that? And he assumes we're going to relate. We're going to know exactly what he's talking about because we've all been there. We've all been Dr. Law Guy. (laughs) Why is that? Why do we notice other people's faults more easily than we notice our own? Why are we more eager at times to fix other people than we are to fix ourselves? I can think of a couple reasons. For one thing, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to diagnose what's wrong with other people than what's wrong with ourselves. And and this is epidemic in our culture. Our culture is full of people who know what's wrong with everyone and what's wrong about everything. All you've got to do is read an article online and then go to the comment section And you will discover how many people there are who are convinced that they always know better than everybody else. It's just kind of amazing. And Dr. Law Guy here is a a perfect picture of how foolish this is. Just having this critical, fault-finding, know-it-all attitude toward others. What's wrong with everybody else on the planet while at the same time being completely oblivious? to his own faults. It's just, it's easy. It's just so easy to rant and to complain about other people. And it does absolutely no good. It doesn't do a good thing. 
it is so much harder to actually try to make a difference for good. It is so much harder to try to change the things about ourselves that need changing. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how hard it is to change something about yourself? I mean, get that log out of your own eye. Even when you know what the problem is, you know what the problem is, you see it, you want to change it, it's still hard. And I've just, I've been greatly convicted recently about my impatient attitude sometimes, many times, when I'm driving and there are all these people on the road that just are not, they don't have the same consummate skill in driving <clears throat> that I have. And I get frustrated and I get mad and God is just working on me with that. And I know it's a problem and I feel it's a problem. My whole family knows it's a problem. And it seems like I just can't change it. It's terrible. You know, several years ago, I was uh, trying to change the transmission filter uh, on my Chevy Suburban. And it's not a fun job because you've got to crawl under it and you have to loosen it and you get transmission fluid all over you. And I was not in a good frame of mind anyway. And when I took out the old filter, it left behind this little oil seal in the block that I that needed to come out before the new filter would go in. And I couldn't get it out. I knew what the problem was. I knew exactly what the problem was. My diagnosis was perfect. I knew what had to happen. I just couldn't do it. So I finally had to humble myself and call my friend, Les Swayze, to come over and get the seal out because he's got the know-how and he's got tools that I don't have. And... uh it was funny. I was just calling him to ask for advice, and the next thing I know, our dog is barking, and I open the garage door, and Les is under my Suburban, <laughs> taking care of the problem. And I think he had, like, a temperature, and he had, like, you know, the flu or something. And, and he could still do it, and I couldn't. That is a lot like the situation we face in trying to change flaws in ourselves. We need help. We need help because it's hard. And Jesus has knowledge and tools we don't have, which is why we need to humble ourselves again and again and again and ask him for his help. It is easier to fix, to try to fix other people than to fix yourself. The other thing about it is it's more fun. It's more enjoyable. It feels kind of good to be Dr. Law Guy. You convince yourself you're helping all of these people, you know, by, by just pointing out their flaws to them, you know, helping them become better people, because clearly they, they don't know. They don't know what their flaws are, and they need us to point them out. Isn't that more pleasant than dealing with your own faults? You know, when you focus on the faults of other people, that can help you feel better about yourself. Well, look at them. I'm not so bad, you know? And then along comes Jesus to spoil our fun. <laughs> and he says, stop it. Stop doing that. Stop focusing on other people's faults. Stop trying to fix their problems while you're ignoring your own. That may be easy, it may be enjoyable. 
but it's bad. And it leads to serious problems. And I'm not just talking about problems of relationship with one another. Look what Jesus says. For with the judgment you pronounce, or literally, with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. With the measure with which you measure, you will be judged. Or measured. It will be measured to you. This is serious. I mean, exercising poor judgment is just not really annoying, which it is. And it's not just completely unhelpful, which it is. It's something Jesus says, don't do. So to do this, to walk around with this sort of critical fault-finding attitude is to invite God's judgment on us. This is serious. And the reason God forbids it is to engage in this kind of judging is to do God's job. It's to play God. Because he's the only one who's qualified to do it correctly. Look at Romans 14.4. This was written for believers in Jesus, and it says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Skip down to verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then let each of us, each of us will give an account of himself to God. God's job. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of another. See, this is way more serious than just annoying people with our critical comments. This is trying to do God's job. And when we do that, we don't help anybody. We don't help our brothers and sisters. We put hindrances in their way. We discourage them. We frustrate them. We tempt them to give up or disconnect and go hide somewhere far away from us. It's not a good thing. And Jesus wants us to do good. He wants us to do good. So, I want to think just for a little bit about how to avoid the problems of, good, of bad judgment, poor judgment, because that's what we're talking about. How to avoid poor judgment. Because I see, I see a couple things here I think we need to learn and we need to apply. Not just to other people, but to ourselves. So, here's the first To avoid poor judgment, you've got to understand the difference between bad judging and good judging. You've got to know the difference between bad judging and good judging. And I point this out. This is really where I was going when I said this is one of the most misused places in the Bible. Because if you don't read what Jesus says carefully here, you might think that he, you, you might come to the conclusion that all judging is always bad. And there are a lot of people who think this and will tell you this. And it's become very popular, you know, to say, don't judge me. Don't judge me. You're judging me. Don't do that. Jesus said, don't judge me. As if all kinds of judgment are bad. All judging's bad. Yeah, which is kind of ironic if you think about it. If you think about it, if somebody says, don't judge me, what they're telling you is that you're wrong to judge. 
But if they're telling you you're wrong, they're judging. <laughs> That's a kind of judgment. So they're judging you when they tell you don't judge them because that's wrong. And a lot of times what's really going on here, when people play the uh, Jesus said judge not card, what they're really doing is just they want you to shut up and go away. So anytime anybody tries to, no matter how graciously, no matter how thoughtfully and carefully, somebody tries to point out that certain things are actually wrong. You know, like lying, stealing, cheating, lusting, committing adultery, killing an unborn child. Anytime anybody tries to point out that this is wrong, somebody's bound to say, hey, 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 now wait a minute, you're judging, and Jesus said not to judge. As if what Jesus meant is that we can never, ever say anything's wrong or right. But that's not what Jesus meant. And we actually know that. We see it right here. He says in verse 6, this really interesting statement, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your, uh, your pearls before pigs. All right, well, think about it. In order to do what Jesus says there, you have to do some kind of judging. You've got to figure out if you're dealing with dogs or pigs. And whatever that means, that's some kind of judgment. And then a little later in this sermon, in Matthew 7, 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Well, the only way you can determine a false prophet from a true prophet is to exercise some kind of judgment. And then in John 7, 24, Jesus says flat out, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So there's a way to judge that's right, and we have to do it. And then look at this. This is in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 11. Notice what the, Paul the Apostle says to Christians in Corinth. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. Okay, so someone who professes to be a believer in Jesus, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler. And what he means there is someone who is unrepentantly just going on in these behaviors and wants to be both profess to be a believer in Jesus and have the license to do this stuff. And he says, don't associate with anyone like that. Don't even eat with such a one. Now look at this. For what have I to do with judging outsiders, unbelievers, people outside the body of Jesus, outside of the family of God? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Whoa. So here, not only are we not told not to judge, we're actually told that we have to judge. And the word, in case you're interested, is the same word in Matthew 7, where Jesus says, judge not. So how can this be? How can one passage say, don't, don't judge, and another one say, yes, do it? Well, what we have to realize is that there are good forms of judgment, judging, and bad forms, bad forms of judging. Uh, the word judge here is the word from which we get the words critic, 
critical criticism. And if you think about it, there's good and bad forms of all of those things. We talk about constructive criticism. What do we mean? What's constructive criticism? Well, that's when we're trying to help. We're trying to help somebody. Uh, we're trying to build them up. Construction, right? Help them, uh, help them grow, encourage them, motivate them. What's the other kind? Well, it would be deconstructive or demolition criticism, where we're just being negative. We're just complaining about somebody. We're, we're tearing them down. We're telling them what we don't like about them and how they don't measure up. So what's the difference between good judging and bad judging? I'll, I'd say it like this. The difference between bad judging and good judging is the difference between disrespectful and discerning. Disrespectful, bad judging, discerning, good judging. Let me give you some characteristics of both of those. First, disrespectful. Your judging is disrespectful. Your judging is bad if you're not really concerned about the person and what's in their best interest. You're just trying to feel better about yourself. Make yourself feel better. Maybe you're venting. They're vent, you're venting because you're upset about something this person's doing, and the reason you're upset is because it's bothering you. It's just bothering you, and you don't like it. And so you're just going to engage in a little judgment here to make yourself feel better. Because you certainly would never do anything as awful as they're doing. And then two, your judgment, your judging is disrespectful when you judge the person's motives as opposed to their beliefs and behavior. I'll get to that in a minute. But when you're judging motives, so somebody does something we don't like and we assume they're doing it for some sinister, nefarious, evil reason. (laughs) And this is also epidemic in our culture. You hear this a lot in politics. This judging of motives. So you, you just pick any topic, any hot topic of the day. Let's just say, you know, immigration policy, okay? So if your policy is you're personally in favor of tightening border security, well, then you must be racist and hate immigrants. Or if, on the other hand, you're in favor of some kind of reform that would, would grant some amnesty to those who are in the country illegally, well, then you clearly just want to destroy the country. Now, there may well be people on either side who have those motives, but how would we know that? How would we know? How do we know what's really motivating somebody else? You know, it's fine to disagree on matters of policy and to have a conviction about it and to explain your reasons for thinking that your position is best. But you know what? Judging motives, that's God's job. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So ask yourself, When somebody does something you disagree with, something you don't approve of, something that bothers you, do you assume you know why they're doing it? 
Eh, she just wants attention. He just loves stuff more than he loves God. She's just mean. He's just a jerk. So we criticize them, and and we're not trying to help them. We're not trying to help them experience God's best in their lives, but we want to put them down. We want to make ourselves look better. We want to make our position look more favorable. That's disrespectful, and that's bad. Good judging, on the other hand, is discerning. Discerning judgment. So here's a couple characteristics of that, as you might guess. One is you're actually concerned about the person and helping them, not harm them. So the reason for telling somebody that something's wrong, like viewing pornography, you're telling them not to shame them or condemn them, but to help them, help them avoid something that's going to seriously mess up their life. You want to get them, help them see to get on God's path because that's the path of life. God's ways are meant to not deprive us, but to help us, to bless us, to protect us. So what that means is that even when we have to say something negative, we do it for a positive reason. Positive for that person. To help, not harm. To bless, not curse. And then two, your judgment is discerning if you're judging beliefs and behaviors, not motives, beliefs and behaviors by God's word, not by our personal preferences, by God's word. So I tell somebody that something's wrong, not because that's my opinion, but because God says so. That's really important. It's really important because, see, here's the thing. When it really gets right down to it, that kind of judging is really not us doing the judging because we're not basing it on our personal preferences, our personal opinions, our our personal pet peeves, but based on what God says. God's judgment, God's judging of what's good, what's not good, what's right, what's wrong. And we share that with an attitude to be helpful. We share that in his love. We're not sharing it with an angry scowl on our face because we're offended. Being a Christian is not about letting everyone else know what offends us. Being a Christian is about helping other people encounter and experience Jesus Christ and his love and truth and to live a life that doesn't offend him. So to avoid poor judgment, understand the difference between good judging and bad judging. And then the second thing, examine yourself before you criticize others. Examine yourself. Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, please notice, he's not saying we should ignore the specks in our brother's eye and not try to help them. I mean, somebody's really got a speck in their eye, they probably need some help. Uh, My wife and I were walking around the other day, and, and a gnat flew into my eye. And I couldn't get that thing out of there. And then finally, you know, she's 
I'm laying on the bed, and she's prying my open and irrigating it, and <laughs> finally floated that little turkey out of there. It's, it's not that we're not to help with the specs, but first things first, we've got to admit the own prob, you know, our own problem with the log in our eye. And see, this is what's so important about this. What that does when we admit and acknowledge the log in our own eye, you know what that does? It gives us an attitude of humility, and that's the attitude that's helpful. Nobody wants to be helped by somebody who, who has this attitude of superiority. Oh, yes, I'll condescend to help you, you poor wretch. What we want is a humble brother or sister to come alongside of us. Nobody likes to be scolded by somebody who, who acts like they've got it all together when we know they don't. We know they don't. I, I had a little, uh, encountered a little story here. I don't know if you guys know who uh, Dwight Moody and Charles Spurgeon were, famous preachers from the 19th century. Well, Moody was in America and he greatly admired Spurgeon, who was in London, and he wanted to meet him. So on a historic day, Moody went to Spurgeon's residence, and Spurgeon answered the door smoking a big cigar, which was his habit. Well, Moody was shocked, and he said, how could you, a man of God, smoke that? Spurgeon <laughs> took the cigar out of his mouth and with a smile, pointed to Moody's rather inflated stomach and said, the same way that you, a man of God, could be that fat. <laughs> now, the point of doing this self-examination, it's, the point of this is not to get so down on yourself that you th then say, well, I have no business helping anybody with anything. No, see, that, that's a cop-out. That's a cop-out, and that leads to another form of disobedience. It's called disengagement, disconnection. Um, wanting never to get anybody upset at us. That's a cop-out. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.14. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Sometimes we need to be admonished. Sometimes we need to be, as Hebrews says, provoked, spurred to love and good deeds. We need that. But it's only when we admit the log in our own eye that we'll have that humble attitude and that gentleness that is genuinely helpful. There's a story that comes from the time of the Civil War and uh, President Abraham Lincoln's wife, Mary, was... She was upset at the Southerners, and she was speaking quite disparagingly of them. And Lincoln said something very interesting. He said, don't criticize them. They are just what we would be in similar circumstances. That's a humble attitude. That's a thoroughly biblical attitude. Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Sober judgment. That's great. What does that mean? That means be real in your thinking about yourself. 
Be honest about yourself and be honest and real in your thinking about others. We are deeply loved by God and we are deeply fallen, every single one of us. Our only hope is Jesus. Boy, if you don't get anything else out of the Sermon on the Mount, get this. Jesus is our only hope. The standard of righteousness that he establishes is so far out of reach that he starts his sermon, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they don't meet the standard and can't meet the standard without the grace of God. Those are those who are in the kingdom. Our only hope is Jesus, who died who died to rescue us from an eternity of separation from God, who died to rescue us from a life of self-centered foolishness. And it's only when we rely on him that we can humbly help one another with the specks in our eyes. I'll finish with this. I'll give you a little acrostic that might be helpful. Next time you're uh, inclined to t- criticize somebody in that fault-finding sort of way, take a moment and pause. P-A-U-S-E. Pause. Okay, the P stands for pray first. Pray first. Pray more for the person, then you talk to the person, and by all means, more than you talk about the person. Pray more. You know, when you really pray for people, it really helps you not be nearly as critical. Pray first. Second, the A in pause. Ask yourself. Ask yourself. How would I want to be treated if this were my problem? How would I want to be treated? And then treat them that way. And then USC, we'll take it all together. Use caution. Use caution. If it gives you any pleasure to criticize, if you're doing it to make yourself feel better, You're probably doing it for the wrong reason, so don't do it. Go and spend some time in prayer first until your eagerness to do it, your pleasure in doing it goes away as you encounter the holiness of Jesus and you realize how completely unworthy you are to point out anybody's flaws. But because he's called you to be loving and helpful You'll do it because he wants you to, but not because you're going to have fun. Pause. We need to pause. Okay? Is that enough for you to work on this week? Let's pray, because we need to. And I just want to say, if you're here today and you don't know what I'm talking about in terms of being connected to Jesus Christ and experiencing his gift of righteousness as a free gift to make you good enough for God, 
not by your merit, but by his merit. I'd love to talk to you about that. Just come and see me afterwards or when we fill out our Connect cards here in just a second, uh, make a note, and I'd love to talk to you about it. Or maybe talk to the person you're with. And let's just uh, take a minute and pray and honor the Lord who is so good to us. Father in heaven, uh, thank you. It's not enjoyable to see the flaws we have in our own lives, but Father rightly understood, it's so liberating. Because you have loved us in spite of our flaws and you will save us in spite of our flaws because of Jesus, it is so liberating to not have to feel so inferior and, and uh, like we don't measure up because in Jesus we do. But we can be humble about it because we understand he's our only hope. So help us. Help us love one another. Help us love the people for whom Jesus died. The world for whom he died. And may we seek to be salt and light when we have to share negative things, may we do it reluctantly and to be helpful. God, make us a people who help. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.